The Giants traded for a former top prospect, Lewis Brinson, yesterday and immediately added him to the 40-man and called him up as a September call-up. So what is the plan for him? We'll also talk about what Giants are going to be back uh, for 2023, guys who are reaching free agency at the end of the year. So all of that in today's mailbag edition of the show. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, as I said, mailbag time. We've got about 50 questions, so we're not going to get anywhere near through all of them, but I want to get through as many as possible. So jumping right in, B. Craw Enjoyer says, if Lewis Brinson has a nice September slash spring training, do you see him on the 26-man roster next year? So the backstory here is that yesterday the Giants traded for Lewis Brinson. You might ask, how did they make a trade? I thought the trade deadline passed. It's because Brinson was a minor leaguer and he was never on the 40-man roster all season long for the Houston Astros in their organization. And he also wasn't on the major league injured list. So he those guys can be dealt and the Giants picked him up for cash. And the backstory on Brinson is that he's a former top 20 prospect in baseball and was the centerpiece of the Christian Yelich trade with the Brewers and the Marlins back in 2018. Another guy who was in that trade was Isan Diaz, who the Giants also picked up this season. And he was a September call-up candidate for them before he injured his oblique, which was really unfortunate timing. And there's a case to be made they should have brought up Isan Diaz sooner. And I get that. And a lot of people asked about that. And I think it's fair. But regardless, they pick up another piece of that Yelich trade here with the trade for Brinson. And the question is, if he has a good September and spring training, is he on the 26th man next year? And I don't see see why they would pick him up if not for that very reason, because he's been added to the 40 man. He's not, he does not have minor league options. So they cannot just send him down this year or Next year, he is under club control for a few more seasons if the Giants want. But if he doesn't perform well in September, he's a guy that they would probably just non-tender. And honestly, that's probably the most likely outcome here. There's a reason he was available to be traded for for cash. And while he's a former top 20 prospect, he's he has 341 games played in the majors, 1,111 plate appearances, and he has a 54 weighted runs created plus 100 is average. That's a he hit 199 with a 248 on base and 323 slugging, just horrible. And overall, negative 3.5 Fangraphs wins above replacement. So you're probably sitting there thinking, what? Why did the Giants pick this guy up? Well. He's got the prospect pedigree and he's really done it in the minor leagues. And so, I don't know, he's intriguing. 
but I wouldn't just expect that, okay, he's fixed and everything's going to go well. But if it does, then yeah, there's no other reason that they picked him up other than hoping they can have him kind of get right and actually perform at the major league level and that they would keep him because he's a guy who can be kept for multiple years. And honestly, this is the type of thing they should be doing with their September, given their position in the standings and their being completely out of the race, almost completely. But Brinson, I should just mention, he's a guy with a lot of raw power, a lot of speed, good defender, and can really throw. And so he's he's a toolsy guy. The Giants don't really have guys like this. And so I'm interested in watching him over the last month of the season and hopefully he does perform well and then he could be a future piece for them he is uh by the way 28 years old and he'll turn 29 in may so the next question comes from rex who says what giants do we bring back so the first place i want to start with this is that we heard yesterday farhan zaidi on knbr said the following about jock peterson We'd love to have him back next year. We've talked some to his representative. I've talked to Jock about it himself. He's from here. He's played well. He was an all-star for us. And so that's interesting because we've talked about how the Giants need to have like less platoons in their lineup because you can't platoon at every position. That would be 18 position players and you're typically only carrying about 13 position players and so you need some everyday guys jock peterson is not an everyday guy he is the i've said this before but like you look up platoon player in the dictionary and it's jock peterson's face he is a platoon guy he's got a long track record of not hitting left-handed pitching and really hitting right-handed pitching and that's been true this year as well and he really has on the whole hit well against right-handed pitching but if you are platooning with him can you also afford to platoon with like Yastrzemski and Slater? I mean, they don't really have an answer to platoon at at two outfield positions, let alone uh, three. So I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say that it clearly they want to bring him back, but it has some down the road implications that maybe uh, they're not going to stick with another platoon of Mike Yastrzemski and whoever is that right-handed pairing for him. I think maybe... You try to just have your one platoon. Maybe it's Slater and Jock Peterson. And then you try to get everyday guys at the other two outfield spots. So in terms of other guys who could be brought back, I hope that Carlos Rodon is a consideration. We talked about this yesterday. They kind of need that frontline talent in their rotation because they're not very good even with Carlos Rodon. So if you lose Carlos Rodon and don't really replace that value in the rotation, you've just got more work to do in the for the rest of your team. And so I'd like to just bring him back. He's one of the best pitchers in the game right now. And you already have him. So you have exclusive negotiating rights for now. You can give him the qualifying offer, which hurts his uh it hurts his value with other teams, but it doesn't hurt the value to the Giants because the Giants wouldn't surrender a draft pick, other teams would by signing him if you give him the qualifying offer and he rejects it. So I'd like to see Rodon. I'm fine with Peterson as long as it means they get some everyday players at at least one outfield spot, but preferably two. And then you can platoon Peterson and Slater or whatever. And then another guy who is going to be a free agent who I think they should bring back is Wilmer Flores. Flores is kind of an invaluable member of this team 
And it, it ended up being a three-year deal for Flores. It was two years plus a club option, and they picked up that option for this year. And he's just done a very nice job for the Giants, and he's pretty consistent. And they've had, they have some streaky guys, Jock Peterson among them. And I just like the stabilizing presence of Wilmer Flores. He is 31 years old, so maybe another three-year deal is not necessarily something you'd want to do. But I could honestly see them repeating the contract they just had which was two years, six million guaranteed with like a third year for three million as a club option, something like that. So I don't know, Jock, Rodon, hopefully Wilmer, I think would make some sense. And then besides that, I think you're asking about like impending free agents. There are tons of guys who are not impending free agents. And of course, those guys will be back, but I won't kind of waste everybody's time with those guys. The one guy I did not mention was Brandon Belt. It's been such a disappointing year for Belt with performance and mostly with the injuries to his knee that I really think this could be the end for him, but we'll we'll talk about him some later on. So, coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk about the most surprising current giant not to make next year's roster potentially. We'll get into that and many more questions momentarily, but First, are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that could happen? You drive up, you end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, just don't get behind the wheel. It's that easy. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. All right, as promised, we are going to continue running through the mailbag questions. Brian says, who could be the most surprising current giant not to make the roster next season? So I'm tempted to give you something hot takey, and I will. I think that most surprising might be Mike Yastrzemski. Okay, so it's a little bit controversial. I'm not sure that I think that that's likely that he wouldn't be back. But at the end of the day, we're looking at a guy who just turned 32 years old. This year has a 91 weighted runs created plus, has just been in a deep slump for like the last three months of the season. Uh, He does give you some base running value. He does play a good outfield, can play center for you, is kind of a leader of this team. So I would lean towards he probably will be back. But what I just mentioned with Jock Peterson and how they're trying to bring him back, I I kind of view Mike Yastrzemski as a platoon player. He's clearly struggled at the plate, even against right-handed pitching for much of the year. I actually want to pull up the numbers and see. He's been about average against right-handed pitching, which is the strong side of the platoon, you know, with the platoon advantage. And against left-handed pitching, he's just been bad. And that just goes to show you the single-season platoon splits can fluctuate because at certain seasons, he's been good against left-handed pitching. And then in certain seasons, he's been dreadful. And so it's one of those things where we kind of just need to assume league average platoon splits and not read so much into, oh, this year he's been good against lefties. In his career, he's actually been decent. 95 weighted runs created plus against lefties and Against righties, a 118 weighted runs created plus. So that's why I kind of lean towards they will bring him back. Although I'm just seeing it just he's clearly struggling. And can you afford to just keep platooning at multiple positions? And if they bring back Peterson, I really do believe Yastrzemski could 
be a non-tender candidate. The thing is, he's making $3.7 million this year. He'd be in line for a raise. That's just how arbitration works. Even if you don't have a great season, you typically get a raise. So he'd probably be in line for something like $5.1 million if I had to just kind of estimate here. And is Mike Yastrzemski worth bringing back for $5.1 million for 2023 plus two more years of club control? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And so that's who I'm saying is probably the most surprising. Next would be Wade. I really, really don't think they can bring back Jock, Yastrzemski, and Wade. And it hurts that a lot of these guys don't have minor league options. Like Wade can't be sent down and he just hasn't done well. So he's taking up a roster spot, not performing, and you can't send him down. I'm just, this may be the end of the line for Lamont Wade Jr. with the Giants and be a weird career. One fantastic year where he was so clutch and then one year that was just kind of lost. So one of those two, I could definitely see one or both maybe both of them not making the team. I also could be way off here. I think Yastrzemski is just, it's not been a good year for him, but I still believe that he could be good based on those overall career numbers I just mentioned. Decent against lefties, pretty good against righties, and a good base runner and a good outfielder is a somewhat valuable package. So those are the guys I'm going to go with though. Uh, Next question comes from Bartlett, who says, fair to say that a GM having the 28th best core after four years is a fireable offense. So last year, or excuse me, last year, yesterday, we went into great length talking about this ESPN piece that ranked cores in Major League Baseball and the Giants came in 28th. And I said that I agreed with it. And cores, meaning guys who are locked up for at least the next two years, including prospects. So Marco Luciano, Kyle Harrison, Luis Matos, and even Patrick Bailey made that list of kind of core players for the Giants, but they just don't have a great one. They don't have any elite core players locked up. Logan Webb was their only one who fell into the above average category, which was they defined as three to five wins above replacement type players. And then they had a bunch of solid guys, which is two to three wins above replacement type players, but only one above average and zero elite put them at 28th overall in the sport. So the reason I'm going to say no, it's not a fireable offense is because of last year. I'm sorry. A lot of people just don't like to mention last year, but you can't dwell on this year and not on last year. You kind of have to take them both under consideration. So clearly there's something to uh, the talent of Farhan Zaidi. I do think that a big issue is that the prospects haven't started haven't started to arrive yet. Does that I feel like I'm saying that weird, but the prospects haven't started showing up yet and it's become clear that they need to supplement. But I guess what I'm saying is you're not just going to fire a guy one year after he led you to a franchise record in wins. If last year was bad and this year was what it is, then you really that conversation becomes more legitimate. But given what they were able to do last year, there's at least another season of leeway, I would say. And so it's an important offseason. If it's a, another kind of mediocre seeming offseason, then they have another bad year and then their prospects fizzle out or whatever, then you start to worry about that. But in the meantime, they're not just going to fire Farhan Zaidi based on overreacting to the current situation. And it is fixable to me. They have financial flexibility. A lot of people kind of confuse what that means. I don't mean 
a lot of people think that means they could spend money, but they won't. No, they have all this money freed up. They they only have committed next year about uh, $89 million if Rodon were to opt in, which he's not going to. So subtract another $22.5 million and you're at what, $66.5 million committed for next year. And their consistent payrolls have been about $160 million. So when I say financial flexibility, I mean they can reimagine the roster and even get it to this mediocre spending level at about $160 million, and they'd, they'd be able to spend about $100 million on 2023 payroll so they can reimagine. They have the flexibility financially to add different guys and kind of move on from guys who haven't performed well. That's not a perfect estimate because it's not factoring in like arbitration raises and first year arbitration guys, but it's a decent like starting point for the conversation. And so they're still in a flexible position where they can fix this core issue. And that's what it says in the ESPN blurb. It said the Giants will need to supplement or bolster this core through free agency. And he says, and I think they will. And I'm in the same boat. I think that they can and they will and they need to. So it's a very important offseason. And next year, if it's another disappointment, we'll talk about this a little more seriously. Next question. Mario says, what is your honest opinion of Kapler? I have never been around a good coach that doesn't hold him themselves accountable for their team's failure. He hasn't done that once this season. I don't quite know exactly what that means. The interviews I've seen from Kapler, he's he's pretty honest about the performance and he just he's saying they're not they have not been good enough. I don't know what you're thinking he should say. I, I don't know that I ever heard Bochi say anything much different. Like this is on me. I I never heard Bochi say that. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I mean what is he supposed to say? He's he's been pretty honest in saying the effort is there, the preparation is there, the fight is there. He was particularly talking about this weekend, week, not weekend, this last series against the Padres, where they fought back in all the games, but they just couldn't get it done. And he said, all those things are good, but ultimately it's just not good enough and you're judged by winning games or not. And we haven't been able to do that. So I think he's taking accountability. My honest opinion, I do wonder, he's kind of a polarizing figure and he's outspoken politically and not everyone is going to agree with him, especially like professional athletes from all over the country. And so I wonder if sometimes maybe he could potentially turn people off. And I do, you know, I think about that in terms of being so outspoken with your like political beliefs, if that could potentially rub people the wrong way. It's a sensitive subject, but I do, I do just think about that sometimes. And I think he's very smart. I think that he's a little bit like self-conscious. And so sometimes there's some strange interactions. He's not the most like normal dude, but overall, I think he's smart. And overall, the way that he thinks about the game and manages the game is kind of new school. And I do believe that that gives you advantages, but I think it would look a lot better if they had a better roster and you wouldn't have to be making all these decisions all the time if you just had like the Dodgers have Betts, Turner, and Freddie Freeman, just plug them into the lineup, one, two, three. There's no platooning going on there. And like last year, like what Kapler was doing looked brilliant almost all the time. And so the bullpen, I, I don't think he's been great at managing the bullpen, but I also think that 
it doesn't make that much of a difference. And he's not been like the worst I've ever seen or anything like that. And Bochi himself was really good in the playoffs, but there were some huge blunders for Bochi, in my opinion, including sticking with Santiago Casillas so long in 2016. They had Will Smith on that roster after the trade deadline, and they never gave him a shot to be anything more than like a middle reliever against uh, kind of a matchup guy as a as kind of a matchup guy. And I really believed at the time and was podcasting at the time and saying this all, all the time that why aren't they using Will Smith as a more high leverage guy when they were having bullpen meltdown issues seemingly every night. So that was a big blunder by Bochi. Nobody's perfect. So overall, I think continuity helps. And so I wouldn't be thinking about firing Gabe Kapler, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of my opinion. It's a little bit nuanced, and he's here for the foreseeable future, I would say. So coming up next, uh, the question is, what about Bryce Johnson? Why haven't the Giants given Bryce Johnson an opportunity, especially with September call-ups here? Why did they go get Brinson and not kind of reward one of their own guys? So we'll get to that in just a second, but first... All right, as promised, we're going to talk about Bryce Johnson and why the Giants, they added him to the 40-man roster recently, and they didn't keep him on the Major League team very long, sent him back down, and they, and he wasn't a September call-up. So it's CJ who says, do you see any more roster moves before September is over, and why isn't Bryce Johnson getting an opportunity in the bigs this year? And KM McConnell adds, does... SF really have no faith that Bryce Johnson can be an MLB player. He's been given four at-bats this year, and they just brought Lewis Brinson when they could have given Johnson a chance. I assume that Brinson is a known quantity at this point, so do they really see so little in Johnson? So my general response to this regarding Bryce Johnson is that, number one, I think it's important to look at something like weighted runs created plus when we're looking at these minor league players. And on Fangraphs, if you look up Bryce Johnson, you can see his overall performance, which is impressive when you look at it on its face. A 291 average, a 373 on base. 399 slugging is not great, but that average and on base look pretty nice. But you'll notice that the weighted runs created plus there is 99, which means it's a tick below league average for the league in which he plays. So what I'm saying is, league context matters. If you play on the moon, you might, you know, league average might be an 800 batting average, a 980 on base and a 1200 slugging, whatever it is. And so it matters what the league average is. And in the PCL, it's a very lively offensive environment. And so Bryce Johnson, while the numbers look good relative to major league average, it's actually below average by a tick. It's roughly average in AAA. And so guys don't typically go from being average in AAA to above average in the major leagues. Now, if he could be average offensively in the major leagues, then the defense and the base running could make him a good player. But typically you go from being average in AAA to significantly worse than average in the major leagues. And so this question has come up about Elliot Ramos as well. He's been about 40 points below league average in AAA. And you're, you just don't typically go from being 40 points below average in the minors to anything better in the majors. It's not typically how it works. And so for Johnson, I'm going to be honest, I don't see him play almost ever. I don't know that I've ever 
I've seen a few at bats here and there, but I don't watch the AAA games. And so I'm only looking at the numbers. And so it's hard for me and like reading scouting reports. It's hard for me to give an honest and fair evaluation of a guy when I don't watch them play very much. But based on the numbers, I just wouldn't expect much offense out of Bryce Johnson. And with Lewis Brinson, I mean, just by way of example, he has, I think it was a 126 weighted runs created plus in the minor leagues this season. And in his career, he's done even better than that at times. Yeah, so this year is 124. He had a 299 average, a 356 on base, and 574 slugging, the power just being a much more standout commodity. And he can also run and play good defense similar to Bryce Johnson. I mean, I don't know if it's similar. Again, I don't watch these guys play minor league games. But when Brinson was in the major leagues, he was an elite runner. And so it's also not just about the numbers. They they have kind of more advanced analytical tools. They ha- they use the StatCast data as well to kind of evaluate performance and predict how it will translate to the major leagues. And so I trust that they just probably don't feel like Bry- Bryce Johnson is going to hit enough to warrant just giving him this extended look. That said, I do think he'll get his chances throughout the month of September. We may see some guys go on the I.L., if they feel like certain guys aren't going to be brought back, maybe Lamont Wade Jr. as an example, maybe you cut ties now and just give an opportunity to a Bryce Johnson. So I'm not saying don't give him, give him an opportunity. I am saying I'm more intrigued and would have a little bit more belief that Lewis Brinson would be able to perform than Bryce Johnson. So it, it feels unfair to like declare that he's not going to be successful when I don't even see him play. But just based on the numbers... He's never really put up above average offensive numbers. He's consistently allowed uh, around league average for the leagues that he's been in. And so it's tough to do that, to go from that to anything even close to it at the major league level. And the projections are for him to be about uh, 20, 25 points below league average offensively. But hey, and, and if their projection system thinks that as well, then that that would be why they wouldn't call him up and give him that full look. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Locked on Podcast Network, Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked on Bets, all combined into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot, so thanks in advance, and thank you to everyone who's done so already. Have a great weekend. I can't wait to be with you again on Monday, hopefully talking about Lewis Brinson going off in his first few games with the Giants. So thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.